This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Warren Frank Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. I'm joined in the studio today by Lee Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree, and Maura Pape, who's a strategist at Deep Macro. We're going to talk a lot about what's going on in the global macro economy. Uh, please note, I'm a representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products, and the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. Uh, really, Professor Siegel, always great to have you on, but during market panics like we have this week, uh, especially important. Um, I mean, what is going on in your read? I mean, for sure, the markets were robust for a while, sort of ignoring the coronavirus to some extent, and now they are pricing in a lot of uh, a lot of disruption. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is really uh, striking. I mean, by some accounts, this is the fastest correction, which is a ten percent more decline from a all-time high that we've had in history. So, I mean, it's not the biggest decline by any means. We've had much bigger ones and uh, greater ones than that, but from an all-time high to come down so quickly. Um, so so let's, let's, let's kind of review what, uh, what's happened. Uh, you know, I was on, as I've been on through every week on, on our program, and in January, you know, I was worried about momentum players that were piling onto this market. That was just driving it up. I mean, they started in October, actually. If you take a look at the graph, it's, you know, just dramatic in terms of um, the steady upward. And I said, you know, I, I don't really see that much driving it upward. Yes, you know, there's some good trends and everything, but earnings are going to be not, not so great. And I said, I worried that once there's a little rock or pebble in the road, when you're going this fast, they're going to jump off and cause a dramatic decline. Well, we haven't had a rock. We've had a boulder <laughs> just pushed onto this. And, uh, you know, oh, everyone's, everyone is, is, is off. So part of this decline is related to the fact we were on a momentum play, and that's been, that's been washed out. But, but seriously, um, you know, there's no question this has a potential of bringing about, you know, very big decline in earnings. And uh, I think it's really important for long-term investors to know the following facts. Uh, For the stock market, in fact, for any long-term asset, uh, over 90% of the value of a stock is from its profits and earnings more than 12 months out. And what that means, if you totally wipe out all profits for the next 12 months, but then you return to normal, and, and that, of course, is an assumption that after 12 months, by next year, you, we, we will return to normal. The impact on the stock market is less than 10%. Um, and that is in an extreme situation. Uh, uh, some people are panicking. They say, well, maybe uh, earnings could be down 10% or 15 or 20. Well, I urge you, do the math. You do the math, okay, they're down 20. Maybe they're down 30. And then get you returning to normal. Whatever valuation model you use, you will not get a uh, bear market out of that. Uh, so... The good thing about this is that as bad as it might become in the short run, it is self-limiting. This this virus will pass. So whatever damage it does and fear it causes and everyone cancels and, and, and all the rest, yes, that could be great. I'm not predicting it will be. I'm just saying it could be quite great. 
uh, it is self-limited. And as a result, the long-term impact of, uh, of that on stock prices should not be great. Now, that said, we all know stock prices in the short run, you know, fear is one of the biggest motivators. Oh, my God, the world's falling apart. But if you actually look at objective facts, as bad as it might be in the short run, even if it causes a recession in the U.S., it does not justify that the market just completely tanks and falls apart. I had the 50% decline after Lehman. We basically stopped the financial system. And for years, you know, lending had stopped and, you know, you know millions of homes were foreclosed. I mean, we could go on and on and on on, on on something that was that serious. The good thing, this might actually be a very serious short-term impact, but it is self-limiting. And, uh, again, long-term assets have that property. So, uh, yeah, you know, keeping that in mind, I mean, it's true the short run keeps on looking worse and worse. It's true the analysts haven't factored all this in. Of course, they're always very late. So everyone's, oh, my God, now they're beginning to mark it down, and the market is already down, you know, 15%. They're already marking it down. Oh, my God, what happens when they really mark it down? Well, clearly the market is way ahead. I mean, the, we, we've talked about the fact that, you know, you, you have to – I mean, the sleepiest people are analysts with their longer-term predictions. They they just factor in a 10% increase. They hardly have anything else that they do about this, the business cycle, macro trends, or anything. So they're they're going to be the last. The market is way way ahead of them. Um, could it produce a recession in the U.S.? It's possible. If you decline, you call that two consecutive declines of real GDP. You know, my that. That is possible. In the past, that has caused a recession, but we're a bear market. We're not at a bear market. And this morning, we were down almost 15% from the high, uh, 16. So we were not far from that far from bear market territory. Uh, uh, but don't forget, bear markets in the past have been caused by the internal dynamics of it's not an external shock. It's an internal dynamics of the economy that take years to repair. I mean, this is like a one-time shock that, in my opinion, as bad as it gets, will engender a big snapback once people say, whoa, it looks like it's cresting, it's done its damage, hey, we can come out from under <laughs> under our blankets and the sun is shining, and hey, I want to take that trip, hey, I want to go to that theater, I want to do that restaurant, and there's no reason why, and, and you know, that, that we can't continue. So I think that, you know, you have to recognize that. Yeah, we're getting great values. I mean, this market, I mean, is is selling now, assume there's no increase in earnings this year. I said 5% at the beginning of the year. Let's assume because of this, we get no increase in earnings. We're selling around 18 times earnings, 17 and a half. That, you know, that's not that far off from the long-term normal. And we have a long-term bond rate, as we know, at an all-time record low, both either on the 10-year or the 30-year. Yeah. So, you know, that that is important. Also, I do think the Fed should act. Uh, I do think they should do a 50 basis point uh, decline. Uh, remember, trillions of dollars of loans are still based on Fed funds rate, which, of course, impacts the LIBOR rate, which is now being, of course, uh, transformed into what's called the SOFR rate, secured overnight. But the, the still, loans are based on that short-term rate that the Fed sets. No reason why not to lower it. I mean, because, you know, firms give them a little bit relief on their loans at this particular juncture. Uh, again, and I've said this many times, it makes no sense for the cash rate, which is 160 right now, um, you know, to be uh, a good, what, 30, 40 basis points. No, now, well, the 10 years at 116. So we're talking about 45 basis points higher than the 10 year. Uh, you're inverting the term structure again. I don't like that. I think we should correct that. Uh, I think that we should do it. Is that going to solve everything? And we can all say, oh, everything's fine. No, of course not. But it gives a little bit of marginal relief. And, uh, you know, why not do that if you can? Yeah, when you th I, I definitely see some rumors coming out that we're going to get global central bank coordination, that they should all come out together, announce something in a sort of globally coordinated fashion. Is that, and, and so you're calling for 50 basis points versus just a, a sort of short 25. Um, any, yeah. any sense you, you see that, that coming also? Uh, well, the, I mean, I think Kevin Borsch was on CNBC earlier, all calling for a coordinate after today's close. 
um, uh, that central banks should coordinate and, and, and have a, a global, it is a global threat. In fact, it's, it's more of a threat, uh, certainly to Asia, uh, and at least as much to Europe, maybe more now with Italy having more cases. So there is a room. Now, they don't have as much room because they're, 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 they're zero. But uh, we, have, we still have some room uh, to go on that, and there's other measures. By the way, uh, and, uh, you know, the gov- government, if, if things really get severe, there's no reason we can't have fiscal stimulus. We yeah. have a one-time tax cut uh, that puts cash into people's pockets and, you know, compensates them for because some businesses are certainly going to be laying off, et cetera, if this really gets in the United States and travel and, I mean, the entertainment uh, industry, you know, uh, uh, there's there's hundreds of thousands of people employed, if not millions connected with that. There will be unemployment. We, we should, you know, consider fiscal stimulus. Fortunately, with the interest rates so extremely low, and all that debt will, you know, be easily absorbed into the marketplace. So it should not be out of the question. We have we have tools. It's not just central banks that uh, you know are available to to help the situation if that becomes necessary. Now, so you got the headlines going across. Cudlow encouraging investors to think about coming back in the markets when when you see this sort of short term panic and disruption. Um, do you think about sort of starting to leg in dollar cost average if you have oh, new stuff to come to work now that sure. the market's taken off the heights? Time to think about. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a little expensive earlier on. Now it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's not dirt cheap, but we've seen it cheaper, and it might get cheaper before it gets. More expensive, but we, you know when when you you know looking at long term right now you know buying at eighteen times earnings and again let's assume you know maybe earnings will be affected this year so we don't know what the multiple is but you know let's assume by twenty twenty one we get back to normal um, I mean let's assume zero in you know a negative maybe this year but suppose twenty twenty one is going to be what it would have been had there been no virus. We're now selling probably around 16 times a normalized 2021 earnings right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, for, you know, in an interest rate world like this, wow. Um, I mean, you know, right now, dividend yield on the S&P has probably gone back to 2%. It fell down to 1.8. It's probably 2 right now. I mean, if you, again, with the 10-year at, at, you know, at uh, closer to, to 1%, you almost doubled that. Are there going to be any dividend cuts this year? There may be a few if things get bad. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, history tells us that it's not going to be severe, so I think you're going to get that those dividends on the equity. So, you know, you're going to be sitting at much better than you're ever going to get on fixed income or the bank or anything like that. Uh, and you got valuations that are, you know, much closer to historical means uh, uh, levels uh, in an extremely low interest rate world. Why not leg in? Uh, you, you know, know what's for interesting investors is great. Um, I don't know if you, how much you're following intraday or intraweek, sort of uh, how things are holding up across different parts of the world. I mean, you see, interesting where the, the it started in China is actually not some of the biggest declines in Chinese markets today. Intraday, um, I'm looking at a sector dashboard, and it's fascinating that sort of tech and communications sort of tech are there's two least sectors down, utilities, staples, real estate down 3% as we're talking. It's sort of interesting that with rates falling, defensives aren't uh, sort of the tech persistence has been fascinating yeah uh, uh well you know first of all you know uh, as they say hey netflix should be up i mean everyone's going to stay home and they're not going to go to movies and <laughs> yeah and watch that a lot of tech uh you know is in your home and and, and all the rest uh, that uh, you know then that is relatively um relatively isolated although you know we're in a world where income matters and everything matters for purchases and everything like that obviously the financials are are really being hurt again by record low interest rates the banks have a big trouble because you know it's very hard to lower their their deposits lower than zero <laughs> and you know they keep on getting hammered and you know if the if the fed does lower by 50 basis points that 50 basis points off the prime rate immediately uh as theirs is and now we've been lower and they've survived and listen you know we 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 had how many we had five years was it of uh, zero interest rates uh you know and and uh you know we survived we survived that so we could we could we could get down 
that far, uh, and the financials were survived, they're beginning to find sources of revenue outside of just those margins. But clearly, in, in that's one reason why you know financials have been hurt so very much. And tech, you know, basically not. And 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 you know, the other industries it depends on you know what you're in. But listen, if look at if people are put out of work that are involved in those industries that are going to suffer, then they can't buy things. And so it, they, then income goes down, and that affects everyone. That's why all stocks are going down. I mean, you see, you know, say, oh, only certain things should go down, only travel should go down, or airlines should go down. No, because, if, you know, there are millions of people employed in these industries. If they get out of work, they just can't buy other things. You see? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that's why everything, is, you know, is is being affected here, but some less than others. Absolutely, right now I'm looking at the tech sector. Right now, S and P tech is down 70 basis points. I mean, while the S and P is down two and a half, two and a quarter right now. Uh, you know, just to, to give you, you know, that, that. Now, normally tech, Nasdaq has a little bit of higher beta. It goes down a little bit more, and it has been hit. I mean, a lot of the fluff and and all that, and it did have a higher PE ratio. No yeah. question about it. So, you know, obviously there's going to be a little bit, oh, yes, everyone pulls back on their P ratio, going to be a little bit of nervous, nervousness on that. But we had VIX, which is, you know, that peaked at, I mean, I think this morning hit 50. I see it right now at 46. Um, you know, in the past, uh, the, the spikes that we've seen in the post-financial crisis world have been 50. When VIX hit 50, that was that was the low point. One should... Also remember that in, in, during Lehman it went to 80. So, not that it couldn't get higher, uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, as far as history is concerned, but as far as looking at times of acute risk aversion in a market where people are buying puts like mad to drive the VIX up to 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 50, there's where you are right now. Very good. Any sort of closing thoughts? Anything you think uh, is the the stabilizer is just going to take central banks a little bit of fiscal announcement and then. The, the news flow, I mean, the news flow seems like it's going to get worse from the virus, but it'll be interesting where, what bottoms the market here. Yeah. I mean, I think, as I try to people, think this year could be bad, but that's not what the biggest source of value is. No yeah. one has been uh, gained by selling into a panic, even though you might gain a few points of the way down. You're not going to get back up at that very bottom. <laughs> and yeah. that's, you know, that's a problem. So re- remember that you've got solid values now on the long-term investor. It would be right now silly to sell. Very good. Professor, thanks always for some comments. Thank you. Let me uh, introduce our guest here in the studio. We're talking with Maura Pape, who's strategist, director of business development for Deep Macro, a firm that does a lot of internet-based macroeconomic research for investors. Maura is one of our graduates here from the Wharton School, a return guest. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for coming to our studio. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. What a, a week to come back to Wharton. What a week is right. <laughs> it's certainly been very volatile. <laughs> Um, what are you? So tell our listeners a little bit about Deep Macro, your background, what you guys are focused on, and and, and how you guys look at the world. Um, so Deep Macro is focused on looking at very large amounts of data to put it into a macro context, and then we use that to implement systematic macro portfolios. Um, so right now, something that we're very focused on is using some of our high frequency data that we gather ourselves mostly from the internet to sort of track the the trajectory of the bounce back in China um, to monitor how things have been doing since the virus started. And so what are some of these indicators telling us? Is, is it China? How's, how, what did it show before? What is it showing now? We're tracking a lot of different indicators, and I think two that are really interesting um, towards the end of this week are the ones that have been bouncing back, um, our industrial indicator and also our indicator of people movement. Um, for our industrial indicator, this is data, I think I mentioned it last time we were on, that we gather from a satellite. And the satellite's looking at concentrations of pollutants in the atmosphere. And we've isolated the areas that are important for industry. So we can use this to get a really high frequency read with only a two to three day lag on if factories are coming back up and running. Um, 
this is a broad sector of the Chinese economy, and we can look regionally as well. Mm. Um, we've compared it this year to what activity looked like in last year's. Of course, the virus hit at a time when activity will be slow everywhere. Um, so we've sort of benchmarked it to um, what a normal recovery after the Lunar New Year quiet period would look like. Um, looking at this year, we're still below the past three years in terms of where activity is now, but we've started to see a, a pickup, which I think is important. Um, we're looking for different pieces of data right now um, as confirmation in such uncertain times. We want to see multiple pieces of big data agreeing um, to help us sort of find our view. Um, so this is something where we, you know, hit the bottom. Uh, we indexed it to right before the Lunar New Year at December 28th to 100. We're at about 47 right now on our own index, but it's um, it's picked up from the low 30s. So we are seeing factories starting to come back online. Um, and this agrees with our other signal we're getting from people movement. Um, we can tell from one of our data sources where people have traveled, um, and usually they travel for the new year, come back, and go to work. Um, so we're tracking the amount of people who are returning um, as an indicator of economic activity because if they're not there, they can't go to their jobs, they can't work. Um, and we, we are starting to see this pick up as well. Um, Cumulative travel at the low point was down over 70% compared to the last year. Mm. Um, but now we're starting to see that pick up a little bit, especially in factory areas um, where we're seeing an even larger pickup. And we're seeing daily levels of travel in some places ahead of where they were last year. Um, so not only is it picking up, it's picking up at a fast rate and people are coming back even quicker. Um, so when we're seeing things like this, it's, it's a bit encouraging. Um, the big question from here is whether um, this pickup in activity can hold and the, um, the declining cases that we're seeing that's also helping sentiment on the margin a little bit, um, can that hold once uh, travel resumes even more? Um, that's still to be seen. Um, but just, you know, looking at this data and hearing things about ports, uh, backlogs being clogged, like th it was in the news this morning in the South China Morning Post, um, this can help sentiment a little bit. Um, it happened in China first. Um, so the world is sort of looking for a template for the recovery to see if activity yeah. can start to resume. Li Chen, I know yeah. we've been talking China and the <laughs> virus, and uh, listen, China was the the epicenter where it all began, and it seems like the the trajectory of cases has has sort of slowed in China. Now it's really about it's the rest of the world. Interesting that your data is confirming they're really trying to get back to work in mm -hmm. a big way, encouraging encouraging that. And that'd be it'd be interesting to keep track of your data as. You know, there's worries that once they get back to work, the virus is slowing down because they were isolated. Now they get back to work, is it going to create more spread? Yeah, uh, actually, I want to, you know, um, emphasize. Uh, I want to, you know, add a little bit more on Professor's uh, comment as well. I think people, uh, when when we look at these three things, China virus and the stock market, we have to look at, you know, virus thing could get worse. But the stock market is a forward-looking indicator. It does not have to be, you know, getting worse. And that is the professor's uh, point. And the thing with the China and the virus thing, I think in China has done some things, for example, like closing school and, you know, forcing people to, you know, working from home. You know, some of the things, because of ideological reasons, people, you know, dismiss it. But we, we found that some of these things have worked and we could have, you know, we could do the similar thing here in the U.S. as well. Uh, you know, and uh, they may. The question is yes. when. The question is when do they s think the threat is high enough and they see enough cases that they sort of disrupt people's lives yeah. for that. And I think, uh, you know, if people, um, you know, take off the ideological portion out of it, take off the fear of it and look at these three things, um, you know, um, a little bit more rationally, I will say, we will see that China, um, there are only less than 10 cases outside Wuhan, uh, like the Hubei province, like outside the 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 epicenter, the rest of Chinese provinces total has 10 cases. So, you know, people are getting back to work. My own family, uh, several of them have factories. Uh, they've been uh, started about, you know, two weeks, three weeks ago. On the other hand, the whole China school right now is still, um, you know, all the you know, working parents is struggling, you know, because yeah. the kids are still in school and same in Hong Kong as well. So these are, you know, like the digital consumption is actually picking up. You know, people are watching shows online instead of going to um, the theaters. So I think it, this um, anecdotal evidence from my own family, which is uh, in the production, like um, powerhouse uh, province in Zhejiang. So it definitely confirms with your data. Yeah, definitely. Things are still far below normal, but the, the initial uptick is um, important for sentiment. 
So how do you do you guys take these readings to a call on China? Like what how are you trying to incorporate that into so you have these great high frequency, much more timely indicators in China GDP and all the other stuff that people are worried sort of fake news. You have real news. Like what do you how do you form that into a view? Right. So we're looking, as I said before, to confirmation between many of our different indicators. Um, we can combine them into a single, single factor-like indicator to see what that actually says about growth. Um, the thing with that is um, right now it's it's dropped a lot so far. We think it's going to continue to drop. Um, mm. The factors are based on a lot of year-on-year -year data. Um, so if it was quiet last February, you haven't seen the full extent of the drop yet. Um, so in line with sort of what you're seeing um, all over forecasts coming down, um, we also expect our uh, really high frequency estimates based on just the data to continue to come down as well. So, so the satellite data is one of the big things that Deep Macro focuses on. Do you want to give any other things that Deep Macro is focused on, things you're excited about in your work and research, big picture worldviews? Sure. I mean, um, when we take all this information, really the end point is putting um, a portfolio um, or a strategy in front of investors so they can use it as a reference point to help them invest. Um, we have a foreign exchange strategy, which is getting very interesting now because it's signaling um, perhaps not surprisingly, that um, we are just in a risk-on, risk-off world now. Uh, the portfolio is switching towards, you know, just uh, safety. Um, and, and we've seen in our own empirical research that at times like this, uh, you really just have to look at the risk indicators rather than the fundamentals um, all the time and sort of switch off and on between the two and balance them. So the risk-off currencies tend to be the dollar, the yen, the Swiss franc. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so now people on, on this macro world tend to think the dollar is expensive, but the dollar keeps surprising people. Like how do you, how do your overall indicators read for the dollar? Um, so in the dollar, our, our valuation models do not put it as, at a, as relatively expensive right now. We think the valuation's uh, pretty close to neutral. Okay. Um, we've had a neutral dollar position for a while. Um, we were more long towards the end of last year as we saw the U.S. sort of leading the recovery um, when things started to pick up momentum in probably the late fall in October. Um, but since then, other things have caught up, and now it's going to be all about uh, who weathers this storm the best. I know, I know your uh, sort of CEO and founder has got a lot of interest in Japan. And uh, any views on the yen? The yen is, you know, it was it was starting to weaken right before the last few days, and or you could say last week, and now it's really sort of moved higher on the risk off. Any any views on the yen? Um, well, in Japan in general, we've been quite bearish. Um, we, our factor right now, we measure it relative to long-term mean, and it's about two standard deviations below. So we think that, you know, this virus is hitting Japan at a time when growth is already very weak. Um, as far as the currency view goes, though, it will be supported to some extent by the safe haven status, um, and that's something that our model has um, started to put into put into play. Interesting. What's uh, your uh, reading on the general Asian, like um, the the like outside the U.S.? I, I know you have a G five model. Like, what's the 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 other signals since the virus is moving to a you know a little bit off China into into the global. I mean, right now we can look at sort of, it, it's it's still really early, but we can look at the starting point for economies that uh, they have as they start to, you know, sort of face these challenges. And as I said, uh, Japan is very weak. Uh, Korea is another one where they've seen a lot of cases. And our baseline view is that uh, growth is already well below trend. Um, and our high frequency indicators there um, haven't been too great. And we're seeing, you know, the early export indicators also coming in very weak last week. So um, that's another one where um, the starting point is, is not ideal. What about Europe? Um, in Europe, I mean, if, if you're thinking about Italy, uh, the trend is pretty low, but it's still pretty close to its own trend. Um, our, we, we also do the same satellite indicator for Italy, and that's already um, a drag on the growth as, as far as our model looks at it. Um, so, you know, <laughs> the, the high frequency information doesn't look great there either. So what, 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 where, you know, for people who follow this kind of research or want to think about deep macro, like where, how could people engage with you guys? What are the, you know, ways that you guys are working with, with investors, strategists, portfolio managers around, around the world? Our main focus um, is institutional investors, and we do research by subscription. So um, our goal with that is really to provide all this high-frequency information to help guide people through times like this and provide ideas through our systematic strategies.
And so this alternate rise of alternative data, you see, this is your part, you're trying to innovate and, and help people through navigate all these things. Absolutely. Um, we try to be a partner in uh, navigating how to use all of this information. Uh, it can be overwhelming and you really need to have a framework and know what questions to ask in order to use it effectively and efficiently. How frequent do you, is your global tactical as the uh, allocation? Um, so we have a bunch of different models, and they rebalance at um, different dates. When we think about asset allocation, we take a more of a medium-term view um, okay. than we do for currency, which is a more high-frequency view. Like currency in terms of weekly? Or? Uh, cur our currency model does rebalance weekly. Okay. And uh, across the G5, any other sort of points you want to make about where the G5 stuff is, equities, you know, is it... With this risk off, do you guys try to react to this? Is it more of a long term, short term? How do you think about reacting? Um, our strategies are systematic, so we, uh, you know, try to take a long term view. Um, our model doesn't clearly know what's going on, and it doesn't know about that. But I, you know, humans might not have better information anyway. Yeah. Um, so we like to think about the high frequency data for tactical hedging purposes around these medium term strategies that we're building. And are the hedges flashing now? Is this is time to go hedge or time to go long? What it are we is, thinking? It is uh, certainly we we are not seeing uh, sentiment uh, in our broader sentiment indicators starting to pick up yet, and our risk signal is still flashing. Yeah, it's uh, risk off all day. You know, uh, we'll have to see how that how that bottoms. What's going to be the trigger? Um, we're going to have a great sort of second half as well. We're talking with Brendan Ahern, the CIO of Crane Shares. He's considered one of the preeminent experts in global financial markets, focusing on China. Uh, they sort of have a, a sort of exclusive fund family looking at different ways of accessing the Chinese markets. I know they're very focused on that. Uh, I've been on, on the stage with Brendan before and, and always enjoy hearing him. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us on this very timely week here to talk about China. It is. I mean, unfortunately, Jeremy, maybe for the wrong reason. Yes. The right, you know, uh. Now, China's been holding up, like on the financial market side. I mean, they were sort of first to be hit um, where with the virus, and but from a pure markets perspective, how do you look at what how China's performing versus the rest of the world? Because in a way, you know, they were the center, but in in terms of the the markets, they're actually holding up pretty well. I mean, certainly, yeah. I mean, I mean, to some degree, you know. It, how one defines China tends to have a, a big effect on their investment results. Is that mainland China? Is it Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong or here in the United States? I mean, certainly um, the mainland markets, the, the A-share market, the Shanghai and Shenzhen, have uh, held up relatively well. Uh, they took a bit of a bit of a fall today, as markets have globally, but. Um, you know, part of that is is that I think there's recognition in China that this is a Hubei province issue, as well as there's a big fiscal monetary stimulus to support the economy due to uh, the efforts to quarantine this one province where Corona is is having a uh, you know an unfortunate um, real effect. Yeah, and and w so what do you see? I mean, it's, people are talking about. They shut everything down. Uh, Mora has uh, some some interesting indicators that was showing uh, sort of satellite data of people getting back to work. She's seeing that in her data at Deep Macro. How are you seeing the stimulus side? Like, what do you see coming up from that support side in, in China? So, you know, China, the for Chinese New Year, which is based on the lunar calendar, so it changes from end of January to early February, you always see this V. Uh, v downdraft in economic uh, data due to this really you know at least at least a, they get a one week vacation around Chinese New Year and then then people go back to work and and this year you had uh, you've had this quarantine uh, that prevented people from going back to work but over the last really say two weeks the marching orders are get back to work and. You're seeing a multitude of high-frequency economic data that we track, if it's migrant labor, uh, factory utilization, uh, coal, steel, uh, pollution, um, unfortunately. This shows that, that China uh, freight logistics, it, it's coming back. Property sales, it's all coming back, but it's coming off this very low base that, that you know, we should be back at 100%. In some cases, we're at around seventy percent today. And and as as you as you think about what this means from an investor's perspective, I mean, there's obviously so much uncertainty just from the pure sort of 
human element of how things are going to affect our daily lives and then you know from the economic data and then translating that to an investment decision how, how are you guys talking to clients about just looking about china exposures today so, I mean, certainly we know that the Q1 data is going to be very poor. Uh, over this weekend, we're going to have the February PMI, uh, PMIs released. And uh, atrocious is, is, is probably not, you know, not, not going to give uh, – those numbers are going to be really bad. Yeah. And we know Q1, is, the data is going to be poor. However, the, you know, there's one, there's one important uh, thing to be aware of is is China, the Chinese government is not cutting their 2020 GDP target. Uh, foreign economists are, you know, companies are. Uh, but what, what the Chinese policymakers are saying is, like, listen, we know Q1 data is going to be bad, so Q2, 3, 4 better be very good to make up for that, that weakness. Um, and there's a lot of policy support to make that happen. So on the economic front, it's feasible we're having an overreaction, uh, but there's lessons we can learn from what's happened in China for global markets as well. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people don't know if they trust the Chinese data as it is, but uh, so it'll be interesting how bad they let this data go down and then to see it come back and spending. Like, where where do you see that? It, it, when you think about outlining the response, what are the, the responses that you guys are watching for? So thus far, you know, they've, uh, they've cut the, the prime and the loan rates, so they're trying to they've, – they've issued a huge amount of, of infrastructure bonds. They're, they're giving incentives around auto manufacturing. Uh, they're cutting the VAT tax. They're going to run a uh, – yeah, they're, they're, they're going to uh, deep you – know, they've, they they've been running a very small budget deficit. Um, you know, that was you – know, first they were dealing with the trade war – those clouds part now. We got Corona, so so the budget deficit is, is going to continue to run. Uh, so they're doing whatever you know. They're going to support the economy. I mean, they're they they know Q1 is going to be bad, um, but they're not cutting their their target for the year. And and as investors, we've learned that you want to be aligned with government policy. And here, the government saying, you know, the economic data is going to pick up. Yeah, I d- and I think uh, I have uh, um, someone who tracks the government uh, releases, like specifically tracks, and you can see uh, obviously in two weeks ago the word uh, "getting back to work" pops up a lot in <laughs> Chinese uh, government releases at every level, like starting from the central to the local. Yeah, so so the state-owned enterprises um, are going back to work in a big, big way. Uh, property infrastructure development is is coming back online in a big big way. Uh, the private companies and, and a lot of the private companies are involved in export driven manufacturing. You know, this is part of the global. Have been a little bit slower to come back, uh, but obviously, you know, I, I think there's there's a big push to make that happen. So, you know, you're going to see these these high frequency data pick up. Um, over the next two weeks, I think by the end of March, you're you're back, um, you know, you're you're back to where we should have been, you know, a, a month prior. Can you speculate a little bit why this uh, private uh, business is, you know, coming back later? Because usually they are actually, you know, the one who leads uh, in a lot of the growth. So I, I think it's a combination of, you know, you know, what makes coronavirus scary is that, you know. Uh, there's a lot of there's a few unknowns. I mean, obviously it's a virus, so antibiotics don't work. It has a longer um, kind of incubation period where you know you could have it and not know it. Um, and so I, I, th- I think that's kept people made people very nervous. Um, and so if you don't have to go back, you know you're probably dragging your feet a little bit. Uh, but now you know as as you have companies like. Apple, you know, saying, uh, or Starbucks, you know, you know, these are Western companies uh, saying, you know, like, listen, we're going to reopen the stores or we need, we need the supply chain operating, you're going to go back. So I, th- I think that, that demand side is what's pulling the private sector back in. Um, let me just reintroduce you guys. We're talking with Brendan Ahern, CIO of Crane Shares. Um, and, uh, you know, Brendan, when, when, one of the things I know you guys focus on a lot is sort of the China internet sectors. And, uh, you know, th- certainly during this, uh, there's a, sort of a lot of interesting data you guys track on how th- that 
the, the sort of internet is, is the adoption or, or uses is, is going even more with people in sort of quarantine. What any sort of to- talking points you think about on just the China internet sectors generally, sort of short run, long run, the opportunity there? Yeah, and I, I think Jeremy, you know, you know there, there is a lesson to learn. I mean, I, I think the market is in. Uh, and a little bit of a you know significant risk off is an understatement um but but i I think what the market is missing is that there are certain sectors that are going to be adversely affected as as we saw in china right any sort of tourism hotel restaurants cruise ship lines casinos uh airlines um and and that 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 thesis can probably apply be start to apply globally uh, because travel restrictions are going to have a meaningful effect. At the same time, in China, as travel restrictions were imposed, you still need basic necessities. You need food. You, you know, if you live in a city, you want restaurant delivery. Your kids are at home. A lot of schools are still closed in China, and that's happening now across Asia. Um, you still want your child to be learning, so you're looking at online education. You... Um, you know, you're probably playing more video games. You're downloading uh, movies and TV shows and music. So what we've seen, what's, um, you know, not, not to make light of, you know, the, unfortunately, uh, you know, this unfortunate, you know, the, the whole thing is terrible, both on the, the, the human toll, uh, but certainly economically. Uh, but, but there are habits being formed uh, that, that are likely going to stay in place well belong Oh, uh, yeah, when we've long forgotten about coronavirus, these habits have been formed. Yeah, and also uh, I think uh, the two, uh, there's so much uh, online grocery stores uh, in China who are actually making pretty, you know, pretty good profits. You know, the, the price is three times of the regular. And and people, um, you know, there was a joke that uh, people are born in the 70s are considered old people who don't know how to use these apps. Now they all have to learn to use apps to order online groceries. Uh, Brendan had some data in one of his chart packs on supermarkets up 115%, fresh fruit and vegetables up 170% uh, in terms of year-over-year growth. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's one of the interesting things. I mean, if you look at even, um, you know, Alibaba, you know, they, when, when they reported earnings, they talked about, you know, how, how they're going to benefit. Um, and some of that's obviously on the e-commerce side, uh, but then also a lot of these, these firms are on, on the corporate side, um, you know, that they have cloud business, they've got uh, people are working from home. Um, and, and so I think, I think, you know, in the long run, we'll be a beneficiary. I think, I mean, I, I, I personally believe that the, you know, the, the, you know, some of this is the market is just overdue for a correction. Uh, markets have performed very well globally in the last year. Um, and, and, and maybe things were a little bit overbought. Coronavirus is is not anything I think people should be very concerned about. From a, from a you know I'm I'm not a medical professional. I can't predict the future. But if you actually look at who's being affected, it's a very specific demographic. They're elderly with pre-existing health conditions. In China, 50% of men smoke, um, and so you take a respiratory ailment and give it to a lifelong smoker. That's problematic. Um, so, so I think I think some of the concern and nervousness is a little bit overdone, um, and I think markets are probably overreacting, which is why I'm, I'm an active buyer. I mean, I I bought some last month. Of uh, I bought more on Monday. I was a buyer earlier today. Maybe I'm a go. little early. Yeah. You got a I dollar think, cost average yeah. in, as Professor Siegel said <laughs> to start the show. I think. Uh, you know the, the headlines for sure. I think um, it's interesting. I think the headlines may be on their tail way down in China, but they're going to be on their tail way up here in the U.S. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of interesting from that perspective. And you you had some interesting data showing China outperforming the U.S. this year, and sort of China healthcare in particular. Uh, maybe sort of what's the the case for China healthcare online? What what's what, what do you see there? So there's a so what's happening like if if you're in China and, and you know we, we've had this quarantine you know if you if you have a toothache um, you know you still got to get to the dentist uh, and that's happening online so so there's you know Ping on uh, good doctor is a uh, it's really like you know you're able to log on to your computer and then talk to a doctor um, and and so there you know there are healthcare has done quite well. Um, you know, some of this is there are privately, uh, you know, publicly traded uh, hospital stocks. 
obviously the, there's makers of medical supplies like masks. Um, you know, there's obviously the pharmaceutical uh, drug makers. You know, we're seeing you know HIV drugs are being uh, given um, around uh, the coronavirus. So, so healthcare is kind of a, a logical standout, uh, but there's actually some good reason for it. Um, so, when is, is there anything when so you you like the sectors generally? Is it is it when you think you're buying a few uh, earlier this year, a little bit today? What anything in particular? Is it without sort of specific funds, but just the sectors? Is it China Internet? Is it what is China generally? I mean, it's it's um, the combination of um, you know basically uh, the, you know, our, our our exchange traded funds. You know, yeah. these are. Um, but I like I like you know I like um, you know what we've seen in China in terms of the internet. We've applied to broader emerging markets, just saying that a lot of these EM countries are very urbanized, and that allows for home delivery. Um, and and so the things that you can do online in an urban environment. Um, are much easier to implement versus a rural area. And, and a lot of the EM world, like China, is urbanized. So, so we've taken our kind of China internet and e-commerce thesis and applied that to broader EM. So it's a little bit more diversified. And, um, you know, from, from my travels kind of globally, I've, I've seen this phenomenon, um, not just in China and Asia, but Latin America and, and, and the Middle East as well. Yeah, is there a, a country within that that you're sort of more more uh, favorable on than others? Just the broad internet, you see that India has been been one of the standouts. The sort of LATAM, some of the the internet stocks there have been interesting. Any any other thing that's raising radars or uh, just the broad yeah. sector? I, I mean, definitely. I mean, those are you know Brazil in terms of mobile payments. Um, you know, obviously Mercado Libre is. Um, is uh, the dominant player in, in, in South America. You know, there's a great company, it was, it's called Rappi, that unfortunately, uh, they were getting ready to go public, and then uh, SoftBank plowed like a billion dollars uh, into them. Um, and then in, in India, unfortunately, um, you know, Walmart bought Flipkart, um, the, you know, one of the major players there. But, but you know, you know Korea is, is, South Korea is kind of a good example. You've got some big Internet players Obviously, Seoul uh, represents a disproportionate percentage of of the population in South Korea. So, so I think you know we're you know just your point here. The things we're seeing in China are happening um, across the world. You know, and 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 that's that's true here in the U.S. But we also know people have a lot of exposure to those names already. Hi, this is Li Chen. Uh, thank you. Also, uh, one question on you mentioned that you know in terms of China, you look at China A and Chinese companies uh, listed in Hong Kong and and uh, uh, in the U.S. Uh, do this? Do you see any difference uh, within these three segments of Chinese companies? I mean, definitely from a from a sector composition level, um, it, it is very important to look at that. You know, you know this, these Chinese A shares went out went up about thirty five percent last year. But if if your definition of China was the Hang Seng, you were only up thirteen percent. Now, the, the Hang Seng index is only fifty stocks, uh, but you know it's disproportionately what I would call old China economic sectors. I mean, yes, you get ten cent. Um, um, and you know, there's coming a great company called Meduan Dianping is listed in Hong Kong. But if you look at the sector composition of Chinese companies in Hong Kong, it's disproportionately old China. Uh, if you look at the United States, you know, that's where you get a lot of these internet and e-commerce companies listed. And so, a lot of times, people will say, you know, uh, you know, China, you know, my China investments haven't done well. And I'm like, well, it's it's your definition of China. From both in a, in not only a stock exchange but even a sector really determines your results, and it, I think um, that's a big issue in broader EM as well. Where um, over the last decade, EM's done not even half of what the S and P 500, but we're in a growth market, and and EM is about 50 percent of MSCI emerging markets is in financials, energy, industrials, and materials, and. Uh, those are value-geared sectors, and in a growth market, they've underperformed. Uh, if you owned EM tech, you've outperformed the S&P 500 over the last 10 years. Yes, yeah. it's fascinating. It's sort of people wondering if uh, – I, I sort of talk about the China tech story a lot as well, and I think you know it's interesting. I'm curious your view. 
I, I think you have this big sort of growth area of U.S. tech versus the China tech, and you have the Fangs versus the Bats or the Alibabas, Baidu's, Tencent's. And uh, when you think when you think about the valuations in China tech versus U.S. tech and the growth potential of China tech, any color do you think China tech is cheaper, more expensive than U.S. and given the growth rates that you see in those sort of long-term growth rates in those companies? So they're definitely at a valuation discount to their U.S. equivalents. I mean, this started a little bit just because of the trade war where, um, you know, U.S. investors were scared to hold China names during a trade war, you know, even though they generate no revenue here. Yeah. Um, you know, so they are at a discount, even though they're growing faster. I mean, you know, Alibaba, you know, they grew 39 percent. You know, you can't find a company with a market cap that size growing that fast. But but there's others there's lots of other great great companies um, that are you know so so they are handicapped a little bit because they've got China in the name and um, I think that's 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 unfortunate. You know it's it's gotten to a point Jeremy where some of these stocks are going back and relisting in Hong Kong. So Alibaba is relisting in Hong Kong. Um, Badu, um, uh, C Trip, which now they call themselves Trip.com. Um, a lot, a lot of these companies are going to go relist in Hong Kong, and that's because investors in Asia recognize the growth opportunity. And I mean, you know, we'll benefit from from the U.S. names because there's an arbitrage there. But it just shows, you know, to some degree, the home bias uh, we have here in the U.S. after after a great 10-year run. Yeah, actually, for the C trip, I have some friends who work at uh, in C trip as executives, and they've been complaining for years that they were ignored by uh, U.S. investors, even though they were seeing the numbers growing. It's, it's. I mean, they C trip. They took the C out of the name. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> tried try to get rid of this China connotation, and it's. Uh, you know, for a while, U.S. investors loved this. This you know because of these. You know, you've got this incredible urbanization, this rise of the middle class consumer in China. And these these companies are the transmission engine for that growth. Now, now one one reason they're going back also is because now mainland investors can buy via the southbound Connect trading. So so when after Meduan Dianping listed in Hong Kong. It, it got added to this Connect trading program, which allowed Chinese investors to buy it. And they, they added a billion dollars of market cap, went up, um, I think it was about like 150% um, in the year following their addition. So, so, so these Chinese companies want to get back not only because of the Asian investors, but due to this southbound Connect trading platform. Right. It's sort of always an uh, interesting conversation. And with the current market dynamics, I mean, I think there's one of the things that, that's sort of apparent is, you know, the, the markets aren't always the economy. We're definitely going to have a lot of disruption with the virus. And uh, so your, your perspective on taking some opportunities, short-term pain, adding some exposure to these China long-term growth stories, I think it's, it's really interesting given, and, and the comments on the discount versus the U.S., China tech growing faster at a discount. I think that's sort of an interesting place to end on. Thank you so much for your for joining the show today. My pleasure. Thank you again and have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Behind the Markets here on Sirius XM 132. Thanks to our producer, Patty Hall, sound engineer, Dion Simpkins, Mora Pape, strategist from Deep Macro. Thanks for coming to Wharton. Great to have you back in the studio. Lee Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.